Welcome to What Is It All For, a podcast designed to help you grow your online business and pursue a spacious, satisfying life at the same time. We're your hosts, Jason and Caroline Zook, and we run Wandering Aimfully, an unboring business coaching program. Every week, we bring you advice and conversations to return you to your most intentional self and to help you examine every aspect of your life and business by asking, what is it all for? Thanks for listening, and now let's get into the show. And I'm here too. (laughs) Just absolute silence. Why not, Carol? (laughs) Hello. Hi. Welcome to... What is it all for? The podcast. It's our podcast. I forget it's the name of the podcast sometimes. There's just, the problem is my brain has so much it wants to discuss right now because this is such a big episode. It's a big episode. I don't even know how to start. I don't know how to talk. I forgot how to do all my bodily things. I know. I was, that's why I was being so silent because I was ready for you to do your normal goofy intro of like, where's this brain? brain, It was just a lot of silence. I don't have the brain power for it. We are going to go over our entire year of full-time travel. This is the episode. It's the recap episode of our year of travel yeah. our what didn't we call it something at one point like was it <laughs> i remember at the beginning of the year we had a um newsletter series wasn't it like way around the world way around the world way around the world, around the world. my yeah. brain was like what what was wow we're gonna do this in two parts because there's so much to discuss that's right so this part and we took ample notes i want everyone to know yeah, this is really not a did. by the seat of our pants episode like everyone can tell it, we thought about it we wrote down some notes yep. and so if you've missed some of our you know travels along the year this is the episode to really be like what was that like yeah so we're gonna go over a bunch of questions shout out to your friend nicole who yes. sent a bunch of really good questions always, unprompted, which is just great always sends unsolicited uh podcast questions which really does the hard the heavy lifting for it us. really it's great uh so we're gonna do that in this part one yes and then in part two we are going to use our Bring 5 format, which if you listened to last week's episode, you got introduced to that. It's really just us for listing five things, but in a reverse order. Mm-hmm. And we are going to share our favorite moments. Our of the favorite whole year. Airbnbs and our favorite meals yeah. in that Slash format. So that's part two. That'll be coming out next Thursday as a release of this episode. This episode is going to come out a little bit off of our schedule because we just were busy Story and blah, 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 blah. But uh, so if you're looking for that, that'll be in the part two. This one is going to uh, go over the entire year, what we liked, what we didn't like, what we learned, what, what we didn't was, learn. What was harder than we expected? What was easier than we expected? What advice would we give to people who might want to travel full time and work and yeah. do something like this in their lives? Um, so this is really the the episode where we recap the big questions. Yeah. We share with you the overall takeaways from the experience of selling all of our things and traveling the world for 10 months. Yep. And then again, next week's episodes is much more episode is much more the anecdotes, the fun uh, places we stayed, yeah. the things we ate, the things that stood out to us. And then one note of housekeeping, yes. we are going to be taking our uh, biannual when, podcast break, our, our winter, it's our our winter, winter break. Hiatus. We do a summer sabbatical and we do a winter, winter hiatus. wonderland, yep. which is where we just take a break from podcasting. Is it a winter wonderland? Oh, nope, it is not. Okay. Right. Uh, we will be back January 26th, so you're going to have to figure out what to do with yourself. It feels like it's far away, but I'm telling you, it won't. It's going to be here before We all know how the holiday season goes. You get into the new year, you got the new year, new you, all those things are going to happen. And, and then before you know it, we'll be back. So this episode, part one, part two will come out on Thursday. Then we're on a break until January 26th. And if you miss us, just feel free to send us an email and say hello. We'd love to hear from you. Yes. And if you want to know, just be reminded of when we come back, join our newsletter. It's wanderingaimfully.com slash newsletter. Yeah. We will also be on a break from that, but you know, we'll but be back we'll be a little back bit earlier. we'll be back on the newsletter yeah. before. Yeah. 
Uh, good plug for our newsletter. Thank, Thank you so much. You. All right. Can I start with by the numbers? Absolutely. You okay. Can. So 2022, we traveled for 11 months, but exactly the yes. amount of days that we traveled for, we left Carlsbad, California. We got on an overnight flight to Lisbon, Portugal, and then we traveled for exactly 300 days. And we did not mean for this to be exact. As many of you know, if you listen to the beginning episodes, we anticipated that we'd be gone for a full calendar year. Yeah. But because we decided to settle down in Portugal, we stopped traveling after 300 days. And then Jason found out that it was exactly 300 and it made his little tiny brain oh my gosh. so happy. Excuse me. What's if up? you can take care of this little oh. thing you got going on here. Uh, so 300 days even. That means that when we moved into our new home here in Portugal, it was on the 300th day, which just was like the perfect cap in the hat. Uh, Feather in the cap? Cap in the cat in the hat. It was the perfect cat in the hat. <laughs> cat in the hat. Uh, some other numbers here. Total number of countries that we visited this yes. year in Europe, 10. And for 10 those of you who don't know. Which is also a round number. It's a very nice number. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we only went to Europe this year. That was our goal. And our goal was not to see all of Europe. It was just to see some of Europe for a year. Slower travel yes. was the way we did it. The countries that we went to, uh, go ahead, we'll, we'll go back and forth here. Portugal. Ireland, Croatia, France, Greece, the Netherlands, Scotland, England, which, you know, we're just going you know, to yep. And then Italy. And finally, Switzerland. Those are our 10 countries. Now, we went to 10 countries, but we went to a couple cities in each of those countries. How and many total cities, Jason? 30 cities. We went cities. to 30 total These cities. These real clean numbers are real nice. Like, what does this mean? It's got to mean something. Does it feel like we went to 30 cities to you? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. When I heard does. that number, I was like... That sounds right. Feels a little bit higher than I thought, but then I looked back and we looked at all the different places. The country that we went to the most cities in was England. England. We visited the most cities in England. Arguably one of the smaller of the countries that and we visited too. Yeah, we stay and our stays were much shorter there. They were. So yeah. Uh, all right. Continuing on with our numbers, just a few more things here. Uh, total number of planes, trains, and automobiles. Yes. Yeah, so, so this is total transportation. Yep. Flights. Seventeen flights. Your girl who has <laughs> flight anxiety Wait, said. Oh. What? Do you think you've flown seventeen times in my previous of all of my life? Yeah. Yeah. I do. But I bet it's close. I it's bet it's like close. 20. It's probably 20. That would have been interesting to dig up, but go through all of your flight records of your Again, if this life. is yeah. your first time listening to us because you got pointed to this episode about our year of travel, yeah. um, I'll add some context. I, starting the year, had tremendous flight anxiety. Not so debilitating that I wouldn't get on a flight. I know that's the case for many people. A um, couple near panic attacks in the past, but just like really, really did not like it. And it was a painful experience for me. And by about my like fourth flight of the year, I started really seeing a noticeable improvement, in, like a decline in the amount of anxiety. Yeah. And by the end, like it's still not my favorite activity by yeah. far, but like I don't dread it. I don't let's lose just, sleep over it. Let's just quickly, because we're going to bounce around all over the place. Sure. What are like a couple of things that really helped you get better at flying? Just for those who might be mm. listening to this that also have flight anxiety. Well, I've been practicing for a few years, but one thing that used to really help me when it was when my anxiety was the worst is I would write little notes to myself at every checkpoint of the process. So I would open it, I would write notes to myself like the couple days before, and then I would open the note to myself at, you know, after I got past security and then at the gate and then boarding the plane. And then once we got after takeoff and it were these like little notes of encouragement of just like, listen, like you're doing a really hard thing. You are stronger than you think you are. Like, I know it's uncomfortable, but just lean into this comfort, the sending like little messages to myself. And that really helped. 
So if, feel free to steal that idea. Um, having a dedicated playlist of songs that I'm a big believer. I took this like class in college called Music and Health that music and sound waves have an actual physiological effect on us. Anyone who's gone to like a concert where they raise the BPM and it gets your heart going will know this. So if that's true, that you can raise your heart rate through music, you can also decelerate your heart rate through music. So I have a very calming playlist of songs that comfort me. It's a lot of Enya. It's a lot of Enya. It's a lot of like Ed Sheeran. It's like all these random songs that just like bring me peace. Yeah. And I have it downloaded from my Spotify to my phone. So I listen to that, which puts me in a good headspace. Um, and then the, the biggest thing that helps me is actually just like, I think you would categorize this as cognitive behavioral therapy, but really being aware of my thoughts leading up to takeoff, which is the hardest part for me and redirecting my thoughts to like, I, I'm trying to rewire my brain to think of the discomfort of taking off in an airplane as a positive experience instead of a negative experience. So when I change altitude really quickly, it freaks me out. I feel dizzy. Well, you don't, it's the pilot. It's yeah, not, yeah, but, yeah. but my body is changing altitude. True. It freaks me out. I feel dizzy. I feel like I'm going to pass out. Like all those things are uncomfortable, but I've been able over time to reprogram that feeling of weightlessness as being something that's positive. Like I picture myself floating in a pool or in an ocean, something that is like f comforting to me. So instead of that weightlessness representing like, I'm not anchored to the earth. Like it's a very untethered and scary and uncertain feeling. I reprogram it as like, it's adventure. It's weightless. It's surrender. It's positive. Great. Great. Uh, so 17 flights 17 this year. 17 flights. Two on Ryanair. Uh -huh. Ryan flew us places. Uh, five train trips. Yes. I actually thought we were going to do, if you would have asked me before we went on this journey, how many, how many train trips we would have done, I would have thought it actually would have been closer yep. to the number of flights. But what you realize is, and this is what everyone says, like, oh, train travel is so easy in Europe. It absolutely is if you're going in country. But if you're trying to go from country to country, it just takes too long. And so true. And I think a big reason why this didn't end up with more trains is also because of the Schengen rules where for those of you that don't know on a tourist visa, you can only be inside basically the EU for 90 days before yeah. you have to get out. And so we were always jumping around going in the region, out of the region, in the region, out of the region. And that always requires being on a plane. Yeah. And, and really, like, you just have to go so far that, like, you can't take a train. Uh, so five train trips, which were all lovely and easy and great. Uh, we had eight rental cars. So we drove on the left side of the road. We drove on the right side of the road. I only went the wrong way twice, which is great. <laughs> Pulling out of gas stations both times, petrol both stations. Both times. Yep, that, that's, that's the, uh, the behavior that I'm used to is just going a certain direction. And then we had two ferries. Two ferries. Two ferries. Uh, so those were our travel things. Uh, and then total number of beds. This is, I think, one of the most fun uh, notes mm -hmm. of our numbers here by the year. So Airbnbs, we stayed in 31 different Airbnbs. Airbnbs. Wow. Different. Uh, and actually, you know, one of those we stayed in twice. So, like, you know, you get a little bonus there. Hotels, 15 different hotels, predominantly all airport hotels. We did, we did find out. Uh, near the end of the year that the airport hotel move was really good for us if we were having to have a uh, connect through a city yeah. is we would just, instead of trying to do two flights in one day or do a flight to a train or something like that, we would break it up and stay at an airport hotel. Yep. And then, uh, so the total number of beds that we slept in in 2022, and this stopped in on November 9th, was 50 beds. Yes, and that's the reason it's more than before is because some hotels we stayed at like three separate times. Right. 
but 50 different beds. 50 different beds. So imagine, listener, you were sleeping in a different bed every single week. Some of them are big. Some of them are small. Some of them have wrought iron things at the end of your feet get caught in. Some of them feel like a bed at a camp, like a summer camp. <laughs> Some of them feel like the nicest bed you've ever slept in in your True. entire life, and True. you wish that you could own that Kinsale bed. Ireland. Uh, so yeah, 50 total beds this year. And then in uh, part two, like we mentioned, the next episode of this podcast, we're going to give you our best and then you know some like Maybe not worst, but like the ones that weren't our favorite and some honorable mentions. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about the money stuff? Sure. So some of you may be wondering how expensive was it to travel or how did this compare to your life back in Carlsbad, California, which is where we lived uh, when we took off. And just at zooming the lens out, I, zoom it. I will share with you that because we track all of our spending, yeah. we spent basically I hesitate to say this number, but because I know some people are going to be like, that's so much. Or some people will be like, really? That's that much? Yeah. But we spent basically $30,000 more yeah. in the whole year than we would have had we stayed in California. Yep. So if you compare our expenses in 2021 to 2022, that's how much. Although I will say we didn't travel as much in 2021 because it was kind of, you know, a COVID year as we would have in years past. So Maybe. I don't know if it would have been yeah. the same. Yeah. But I just think that's interesting because yep. I would have thought that it would have maybe been much more. I don't know. We didn't we didn't really skimp on accommodations, which we'll talk about. We like really valued that a lot. And yep. so we, you know, there were a couple of budget accommodations, but like we just decided if we're only yeah. going to do this once in our lives, we're not going to skimp on that aspect. We're also, the way that we did this full-time travel year is the place meant more to us yes. than all of the like adventures we would do in, in a country or in yes. a city. So it's not like... The travelers that you watch on YouTube, maybe who are like, we get to a place, we throw our bags, we don't even care where we sleep. We're off to like ride a camel up a mountain so that we can then parachute into like the smallest pool you've ever seen. Yeah. It's like, that's not us. Like, we wanna be at an Airbnb, we wanna be comfortable. We were working the entire year. So, you know, staying at nice Airbnbs was definitely a big part of it. And also, some of the best memories that we made this year. Yeah. And um, also, that 30,000 didn't, it's not like we put that on credit cards or that it came from our savings from before. It's just that we weren't able to put that additional money into savings. So I guess you could think of it like we took it from our future savings. Right. So but we had the, this moment. The funny part was, so when we added all of this up, I said, $30,000, man, like that's, that's a big chunk of change. Like we could have saved that. We could have put that towards yeah. our, a future house or whatever, or like our savings. You know, I was like, man, we could have had $30,000 more in savings at the end of this year. And I was like kind of bummed for a second. Yeah. And Jason was like, mm-hmm. And what were you going to do with those savings? And exactly. I was like, Oh, to like travel <laughs> and like, <laughs> no, it's like, like you extrapolate it out. Right. So you're yeah. like, Oh, I'm bummed. We didn't save $30,000. I'm like, okay, well, we done with that. Well, we probably would have like invested. Okay. What would that money have done? Well, it would have like accrued like a little bit more value. Okay. And then in 20 years you would take that money out and what would you do with it? Travel. Uh, I would probably travel for like a year. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well we did that and we did it in a time in our lives when we were like the least, you know, encumbered. Yeah. And it just, it was an amazing trip and there were good things and bad things, which we'll talk about. But it's funny, our human brains are so attached to like, oh, I could have saved that money or like well, yeah. that money could have gone to other things. It's like, but really when you like go all the way down the road with that, like what would it have been for? It would have been for the same experience. Yeah. And not to like totally dive too deep on this, but I in that moment and in that conversation, I did realize also that as a culture, I think we also like sort of place like a moral um, value on saving money. Like we think if you, if you're a person who saves money, that's better than a person who spends money. Yeah. Right. Like the way that we treat the idea of spending money is that like good, good, save, bad spend, <laughs> you know? And I was like, so I had to kind of evaluate that in myself for a moment and kind of be like, you know, 
I I'm only on this planet one time. And like the memories that we got this year are things that I think add to a richness of life that, you know, I want to have when it's all said and done at the end of my life. And so I just had to kind of question that, oh, that, yeah. that perception, that self-perception within myself of like, oh, well, we didn't save more money, but it's like, okay, but like we chose to do this trip and like, that's cool. And however you listening want to spend your money, yeah, absolutely, you do that. Yeah. Um, okay. So two little financial notes that we uh, wanted to share that we thought were fun. So on the accommodations note, so essentially when we ran the numbers, we discovered that we spent this year, $9,000 more in accommodations. Right. So if you broke that down by month, $9,000 more in accommodations than we spent on rent in 2021. Exactly. If that makes sense. Yeah. So essentially we spent what, like $900 more a month is right. what it boils down to. So literally from our 2021 life to our 2022 life, we spent $900 more, which to me, I mean, it shows how expensive Southern California is, which everybody knows. Also, it's funny to think about it in this perspective too, is no doubt our place would have, they would have raised, they were going to raise the rent yeah. at the end of that year anyway. So I wonder, it probably wouldn't have been by 900, but no. probably half that. But yeah, half that for sure. So then yeah. it's like. So yeah, it's just, it's interesting when you see like, oh, the cost of Airbnb and all this. It's like, yeah, but like you're going to pay to live somewhere. And depending on how much rent you yes. can afford. And, like, and to your point, we're comparing nice Airbnbs to a very expensive rental market being California. Yes. So, so it's like. But the, it's it is likely that maybe you live off of fifteen hundred dollars in rent a month, right? And it would cost you maybe two thousand dollars in very budget friendly Airbnbs that right. you could find or hostels or what have you. There are options for sure. We just were sharing, you know, our, yeah. our difference. Not to mention, again, if this if you're thinking of doing something like this and you want the tidbits and like you want to start get the wheels turning of like how you can do this. I also think it would have cost us much less in accommodations had we stayed at places longer. Oh, for sure. Like we yeah. still stayed at places like fairly long, like some of them two and a half weeks, but the places where we really racked up the total yeah. were on places that we stayed a yeah, few like nights. Four or five nights. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. And then the other financial thing that we thought would be funny to share is in 2021, our total expense when it came to coffee. So this is walking to coffee shops. This is getting lattes. This is, you know, my normal coffee buying uh, for my pour over coffee every morning was $2,105 in 2021 when we were in Southern California. Lattes. That's a lot of lattes. In 2022, the total was $1,800. And we don't have the exact number because, you know, we didn't quite Which finish it up. Which surprised the heck out of me because I was like, hey, we didn't like go and have a latte, you know, at our, again, this is lattes, but this is also buying bag coffee and making premium coffee at home and stuff like that. Yeah. But anyway, I was like, that really surprises me. And Jason goes, yeah, but when you think about it, what was your observation? Uh, when we were in California, we would walk to a coffee shop. We would only buy coffee and then my, you know, pastry, obviously. obviously. But it would be like $12 right. for the coffee visit. When we were traveling around Europe, almost every coffee shop we went to ended up being a meal. Right. Or we sat there for a longer period of time, so we got something else because we needed to use the Wi-Fi or whatever. It was never just we're swinging by our local coffee shop. And the truth of the matter is, in the majority of countries that we went to, in the majority of the cities we stayed in, there wasn't really like a pour-over coffee place where we just went and got coffee. So it really was more of like a coffee and breakfast or a coffee and lunch or, you know, some type of experience. Just like funny when you... Yeah. It's hard because I'm so glad we track all of this because it's fun to go back and look at the comparisons, but then you you just realize there's so many factors that it's hard to do apples to apples. Yep. Or coffee to coffee. Coffee to coffee. All right, Caroline, what did we find okay. more difficult than we expected or what was surprising about this year of full-time travel? That concludes our number section. Now we get into the real, as we call them, deep and meaningfuls. Yeah, the DNMs. So what did we find more difficult or um, surprisingly difficult? 
you start with the first one because I think this is a funny one. I did not think it would be as difficult to find consistent, solid Wi-Fi. And I'm not talking about like, oh, I need fiber Wi-Fi. It needs to be faster. I just mean like I need, I want to be able to load a YouTube video. Yeah. And I found that I think in probably half of the Airbnbs that we stayed in, the connection was either slow, inconsistent, or in some places, non-existent when they said they had Wi-Fi. And it was just something that we prepared for it. We used an app called Airalo on our phones, on iPhones, where you can buy, you know, uh, some data in, in a place. But usually if you're in a place where like you don't have Wi-Fi, you probably don't have a cell signal either. So it just like, it almost didn't help us that yeah. much. And also like, you know, we're going to talk about this, but we were working for the entire year. Yeah. And so it does just put into perspective you take for granted some of these things in life, right? Where you just, there's Wi-Fi at my house and it's it, the same speed mostly all the time and I can just do my work and it's yeah. great. And until we were in these like places where it was very inconsistent, very hit or miss, and until we were in one place that had absolutely no <laughs> Wi-Fi, yeah. did I realize how tethered to it we were and did I realize how grateful I would be in the future going forward every time that we had Wi-Fi? Like, I won't take it for granted. Well, again. and our new home here in Portugal is just blazing, blazing fast, fast Wi-Fi. Yeah. And like super rock solid. We just had our coaching session this past week and it was without a hitch, fantastic. So uh, that was definitely surprising to me. I just didn't expect it to be that much of an issue. I thought like, oh, it's 2022, like everywhere is going to have Wi-Fi and everywhere lists on Airbnb that it has Wi-Fi, but it doesn't mean they do. Yeah. Uh, so this next one I thought would be difficult, but I'll be honest, it was more difficult than I thought, which yeah. was maintaining a norm, a regular exercise routine. Um, coming into 2022, I really wanted to, I, I wasn't under any illusions that I was going to be as consistent as I was in 2021. I set this goal for myself in 2021 of working out at least 10 minutes a day just to become a person who doesn't hate exercise. I, I never went to a gym. We had a home gym. We had a home gym because yeah. it was, again, COVID times, home gym. I still, um, I, I met that goal. Like I became a person who really enjoyed working out mostly in the mornings. And I thought to myself, it's going to be unfair to myself if I try to go into traveling full time for a year, trying to keep up this daily thing, knowing that it's not realistic. And I just knew I was going to like beat myself up over it. And I didn't want to do that. We also weren't going to have a stationary bike, adjustable weights, a mat, and like a clear area to work out <laughs> exactly. every single place we went. But I did set a goal for myself of just trying to go the extra step to look up a local gym and when we could yeah. and try to exercise. But I will say that like, that actually became just so much harder than I would have thought. Yeah. Um, the inconsistency of it, some place, it was also hard, right? Because you're, you're kind of like, you don't want to pick your Airbnb based on the closeness <laughs> to a gym. Yeah. So you're stuck with like wherever the Airbnb was, what's close. And so that's how you find us in split Croatia walking 30 minutes just to get to this gym. And we could have taken an Uber for sure. And it would have right. taken like a third of that time. But also we were like, well, if we're going to the gym, like we should walk, you yeah. know, like let's get some exercise and we could see the city. And, and so it ended up, you know, I think probably I would say 50% of the time this year we found a gym, we worked out and we did whatever, but it's definitely way less than we were working out before. Definitely. Um, do you have a favorite gym that comes to mind immediately from the entire year? Cause we did, you know, like I said, we went to gyms. Oh, all one that places. comes to mind like immediately yeah. is the one in Raywick, the Netherlands. Same with me. Really? Yeah, exact same. Yeah. Loved that gym. It was just a really solid little gym. It had like a full cardio section. It yeah. had like a nice little functional movement section. Then it had a whole free weight section and it was just very it was well, extremely nice people. Clean. It was nice. It was yeah. a walk from our Airbnb. So yeah, great. most well, Perfect. 
almost all of them were a walk. So if Some you are in the neighborhood <laughs> of Rayowick, the Netherlands, the Netherlands. Yep. go to. All right. So the next thing that we found pretty difficult and probably more than we expected was decision fatigue and just the idea specifically for me, I'll just mention of yeah. the constant, like we have to book this next Airbnb. We have to find our next restaurant to eat at. We have to find our next grocery store to, to, you know, go get groceries from. And then like, it's just all of the things that you're doing. This is, I think the one thing that I can't describe to people about this experience. Like you wouldn't be able to understand what we mean unless you've done long-term travel. I yeah, think like on the surface, anyone who complains about long-term travel, we've been there. You're like, it is like, what a privilege to be able to complain about that. And it. And it is. It is 100%. But as to people who have now experienced it, and we do not do it like other people who move every three to four days when they travel, there are so many decisions to make. Yeah, and and it it's funny because you realize again, this kind of goes back to the Wi-Fi thing of how many invisible like benefits become visible when you don't have them. But the same with like so many automatic decisions, like decisions in your life that take no cognitive load whatsoever because they've become so automatic where your grocery store is you know the layout of your grocery store like you can read the language of the labels in the grocery store you know how the checkout works in the grocery (laughs) store like just a fucking grocery store is like 12 million things like gonna fry my brain and you're doing that at a different grocery store every two weeks and so it's like that and then it's like google maps and then it's like picking from the 20 different restaurants because we're only going to be here in two weeks and we want to go to the best ones and then it's like oh we forgot this thing now we have to figure out where is it we we need a package where do they deliver packages like we got to print these documents where's a printer thing like that is literally a one percent. I was gonna say that's just the stress of one week of a place. That, that was me in. thinking of Leicester, England, in like one day in Leicester, England. Yeah. And so it's just it's all of that the things that that your brain automatically does in your daily life that when you're on the road everything becomes so cognitively uh, and energy draining. Yeah, for sure. And it's again, it's not to complain. No. It's just to share the things that we're fi- that we found more difficult and that if you're thinking about doing a year of travel or a couple of months of travel that you might just be more mentally prepared for some of these things. Yes. Because I know for me, when we were doing research of this trip, I didn't really hear anybody talk about the decision fatigue. Like totally. that wasn't something I ever heard anybody mention. But then when you get on the road and you, yeah, you start to run into the like, what groceries do you, what restaurant to go to? Where do we go here? Like what's, what's this and that and this and that. And then you're just like, Oh, I don't know what to do. And then it all starts over the second you step foot in another city or country. And granted, like I will, I will acknowledge that that also goes to what type of a person you are. Like we are planners by nature. So a little bit of is a little bit of it is self-inflicted, yeah. but not all of it. Like yeah. you, you still are going to have to find a grocery store. Right. Um, but the restaurant thing, for example, like normal people probably aren't looking through every, you know, restaurant to filter out the best restaurant place but also with like a one euro sign if possible but so this kind of speaks to the next one speaking of the cognitive just load that everything took something that I also found to be more difficult than I anticipated was maintaining my relationships this whole year like my friendships and my family relationships for a few reasons number one I couldn't explain how like I'm already introverted by nature. So it takes energy for me to reach out to people and keep relationships going. That's not a bad thing. That's just the truth. And I think introverts can relate to that. But then when you put on top of it, how fatigued I am on a daily basis from the experience of travel, I just found it really difficult. Like at the end of a day where we were walking cities and figuring things out, the last thing that I wanted to do was then exert more energy in talking to people. And that sounds bad, but it's just true. Like I just was fully 
I needed recharge time somehow. And so that's usually when I do solo time. So I found that hard for that reason. The second one was like the time zone reason. Like it just is more complicated when your fam, like everyone, like my friends and family mostly are on the East coast. So that's five hours behind, sometimes seven hours behind, depending on where we were in Europe. And then on top of that, our friends in California are then eight hours behind or then call it 10 hours behind. So it's yeah. like the, the miscommunication of just from the time zone aspect is hard. Although there's positives to that as well. The time yeah, zone just thing. Talk to them, you know? well, yeah, because <laughs> people are like, you know, texting you and so you can get work done and stuff. But then the third thing was we made the conscious decision or yeah, we did of not being on social media and yeah. not sharing this trip on social media. I didn't know that was going to be the case, but around Feb- January, I became, it became clear that I just wasn't, I wasn't going to have the bandwidth to do it. And then I went off social altogether first as an experiment and then just kind of like completely. And it was the best decision I could have made, but you realize that in this day and age, we're also conditioned to keep in touch with each other through this like passive yeah, it's you like know, a, feed yeah, it's a, format. It, gets, it all gets pushed to you. Right. Like, and so even I would like want to touch base, you know, and I did like I had several calls with like my closest friends and friends would ask for pictures and things like that. But it felt weird to just go to my like girls chat with all of my girlfriends and p- post a picture like I would on Instagram. It just felt really different to me. Yeah. Like it wasn't like this like passive thing on Instagram where it was like expected. It just w- would feel really like weird and showy showy yeah. in my girls chat where like, they're just t- t- going about their day. And I'm just like, here I am in Greece and in the <laughs> infinity pool. And they probably wouldn't have cared. They probably would have celebrated it. But for me, it felt weird, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was hard. So then I felt fell into this place where not only because I wasn't on Instagram, did I not really know what was going on with my friends lives unless I explicitly asked, but then of course I'm not top of mind for them because they're, they have busy lives. And so then I just feel like a lot of times my friends didn't know where I was or what country I was in or what I was doing. Yeah. Um, which was fine, but it was harder to maintain those relationships. Yeah. And then I think the last thing we wanted to touch on, uh, that's more difficult, uh, than we expected. And that was driving. So yeah. those, those eight rental cars, uh, I mean, basically it was like five different countries that we drove in. Uh, it's just difficult. It's very yeah. difficult. And we got much better at it near the end of the year. I kind of put this in both categories of what it was harder than I expected in some ways and easier in other ways, easier because I did get used to it. And like, when I tell you like before this trip started, I would be up at night thinking about the notion of driving in Switzerland where it's like mountainy and like falling off a cliff. Like, yeah. because this is another category of weird anxieties that I have of like, I think I'm going to die in like a fiery crane, you know, car wreck off the side of a cliff. Yeah. And so I would be over like obsessing about driving in, in a country where I didn't know what it was like. And it ended up being fine. It's a lot like driving anywhere. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have any accidents, didn't get any fender benders, thankfully. But it was more difficult in that it was always this thing that every couple of weeks we had to like figure, you know, it's that first day, I would say just the first day of getting the rental car, figuring out the signs, figuring out the roundabouts, figuring <laughs> Leaving out, leaving an airport, figuring always out tolls. the hardest. Yeah. Oh my God. We had a couple of like, ah, the tolls coming up, the signs in a different language. But I will say that even though we had those things and even though like there were two tolls and it only happened in England where never even saw a sign for a toll, but we just ended up on a toll highway apparently. Yeah. And you just had to go online and pay it. So you just yeah. had to like figure out. So it wasn't like there was no like infraction or anything. We're there not was, total you know. fugitives in multiple countries. So yeah, there, it's just, it is, it's very difficult. I will say though, Google maps is a lifesaver. And I want this is, I know we're in the difficult category, but like, I got to put a positive spin on it. I give us so much credit for like honing in our 
tag team navigation yeah, style. Yeah, we, we got into a really good rhythm because- We got into a great rhythm of like helping, even, this is even before we were doing rental cars, the car play. Yeah. Because remember, I would have the map and yep. like we like our, we had developed like a shorthand for, for roundabouts and like what exit. And I just, I give us a lot of credit. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did a good job. I think it's funny. The first car that we had, I think had CarPlay, and but we, we didn't, didn't even know, know it existed. We're, yeah. That was our bad. <laughs> so we've never used it before. Could have uh, used that in Ireland on the left side. Would have been nice. Uh, that's all right. You held the phone and you freaked out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's transition over to what did we find better or easier than expected in a year of full-time travel almost here? So the first one would definitely have to be the language barrier in countries because in all those countries we mentioned, almost all of them, we could find people who spoke at least some level of English. And when it comes to things like signs, you would find enough like English signs. Oh, yeah. And and I, I think I was just really surprised. I mean, granted, we did go to some smaller towns. Like we were in the middle of nowhere, you could say, in Italy, in France, um, and just the signs were in English. And so y- y- even though you're not... not- in France. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they were still in, they were still English signs. signs. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And cause I was going to say France was the only country out of all 10 of those where I felt like it was actually quite difficult. And that was more spoken, I think. And than, that was spoken. Than like seeing things on labels. But I, I do think, you know, like the Google translate app, also a oh lifesaver. Like thank you Google for both of those apps because they really made our life easier. Any grocery store we went into immediately had the Google translate app, take a photo of whatever Specifically, if is. you don't use that app and you don't know this, there's now technology where not just not only can you do what you would imagine, which is type in the yeah. word in the foreign language and then it translates to your language, but you just snap a photo. And it just and translates, it translates it for you. it for you. So everything from labels to menus yep. to reading signs in like a museum. You also can, got some really fun translation issues. They were like obviously not correct. Yes. And it was just like, oh, this is like a pea party. And it meant to be like pea puree. They're yeah, like, one oh, that I'm I'll eat a pea never party. forget is ordering... Uh, in ordering online food in Raywick, the Netherlands, and the, on the menu item was <laughs> so like what you would in America would call chicken fingers, but the it was, it was like chicken wings or something. Yeah. But the translation in, from Dutch, the Google Translate app, it was crispy chicken strippers. <laughs> no, it was chicken, chicken strippers, strippers with crispy jackets. jackets. <laughs> and I will never, like we laughed so hard at chicken strippers with crispy jackets. Yeah. And now I can't, it's just all I we... can't not picture strippers <laughs> <laughs> that are just chickens. <laughs> yeah, wearing crispy with jackets. Crispy <laughs> on a stripper wall. It's great. It's great. Uh, so yeah, the language stuff, I, I think if you're a person who might be contemplating a trip to Europe, whether it's a year or a couple months, don't be as nervous about the language as you might be because I think you're going to find it easier. It's not easy by any means, right. but it's easier than you think, and France would definitely be the hardest place. For, uh, that we, of the 10 countries. Like that we ran into, yes. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we found easier was really just the accessibility of anything you might need. Right. We definitely had this mentality going into packing of like, think of every possible scenario. Think of the things that you'll need. What if we can't find X, Y, and Z? And so I think we did it. Not that we went overboard. Like I think we did bring just the essentials, but. Um, well, we didn't bring just the essentials. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's just, true. Just by the nature of our packing videos well, that we recorded. We did not bring just the essentials. It's all relative. But, you don't think my five jackets were essential? I don't think your five jackets were <laughs> yeah, essential. YouTube didn't think so either. <laughs> Read the comment section. <laughs> but I will say, yeah, just the ability of like a local pharmacy, a local grocery store, uh, there's all even like department stores to be able to replace some shirts that you wear through or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find necessarily your favorite brands. Like 
Tums, just like Tums, right. do you're not exist find, in like, Europe. You're going to find like sodium bicarbonate tabs or exactly. whatever. Um, or you're going to find, oh, by the way, the term <laughs> cough drops yeah. does not exist anywhere except for America. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't call them cough drops. If they you won't. need a cough drop in a European nation, do not say cough drop yeah. because you will get drops. You little droppers. Little droppers. Yeah, not like things you suck on. No, you yeah. say lo- lozenge or something yeah. like that. Uh, a Houston bonbon. Houston bonbon in if you're German. in Switzerland. Uh, yeah. And then I think the next thing that we found a little bit easier was medical stuff. Now, thankfully for us, you know, we both don't have any pre-existing conditions. We, we didn't have any emergencies, so we can't speak to that aspect of it. But a big fear of mine going into this year was what if I get shingles? What if I get COVID? What if I have to go to, an, you know, a doctor? What am I going to do? I had to and, do all three of those and things. And I had to do those things. Yeah. I had to do, and you even got stitches removed. You got a gash from on your well, face. Yeah. I had an asthma attack and yeah. like I bought an inhaler from a pharmacy for three euros, which you just can't do you in the US. You said three and I thought you meant 300 euros. I said it was 350. I walked out and I said, said this was 350. And I said, yeah, that sounds about That's right. That's probably what I thought it was going to be. Three, three well, euros. Three euros. Um, which was amazing. And then, yeah, I had a, a basal cell carcinoma removed from my face in Dublin, Ireland. It's and the other side. It was the other side. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> that's I can't even tell anymore. I know, that's yeah. how good it was. And had like a follow-up appointment a couple weeks later where they had the stitches removed. Like did all that in countries that I've never had procedures done in and it all worked out. And I was so nervous. But like, for example, I got shingles when we were in France and as we just mentioned. This is your fourth shingles? This is my fourth shingles. In four years? It's fine. I, well, I'm just mentioning it for everyone to know. Yeah, it's... I wouldn't recommend. Highly dis. <laughs> well, good thing is this is not a choice for people. People well, can't order it like they in. can those crispy chicken. Don't opt in. Just chicken strippers. You get that checkbox, don't you opt in. Yeah. But anyway, I was really worried about it. And in arguably the country that was like the hardest because of the language barrier... You know, I just, and we'll talk about this in a second, but like people are so nice. Like we went to a pharmacy, nobody spoke English, but they through broken English. This lovely French pharmacist tried to find me a doctor in town that spoke English. Yeah. Turn, we gathered that he was French Canadian. Well, she, so she said Canadian. She said Canadian. Like, He's Canadian. And, and we're we like, thought, oh, great. French Canadian. Oh yeah, no. no. She yeah, just said that's Canadian. Right. She yeah. said Canadian. Yeah. And we thought, great, we're gonna go to a Canadian doctor who's gonna speak English. We yeah. get there, must have been French Canadian. No, no, was French Canadian. Doesn't did not speak very much. <laughs> it's emphasis on the French, yeah. less emphasis on the Canadian. Yeah. But long story short, like it worked out fine, yeah. and I got my medication that I needed. And again, in the category of things that I was so worried about and fearful of. You know, I'm actually very grateful that I encountered a lot of these fears so that I could see in the light of day that they weren't actually all that scary. Yep. Uh, All right. Next thing that we found a bit easier was finding gluten-free food options. This, somebody actually um, reached out to me to ask about this because they have some, some, uh, food restrictions as well. But I have to say, I was you're not gluten allergic or gluten intolerant. No, and, and I will say that I'm gluten intolerant, so it's not an allergy, but, um, I try to avoid it. And I will say in Europe, they're extremely good at noting allergens on menus. This is something that they don't always do in America, but I don't know if it's like a regulation in a lot of these European countries, but they'll say this has nuts, this has eggs, this has wheat, this has, they'll say on the menu items. Um, I noticed that a lot on the menus and then in grocery stores, like all but a handful of the countries that we went to had full Gluten-free, gluten-free sections. sections. Yeah. So or free from. You have your, your Senza gluten. You have your Sem gluten. You yep. have your, like, all the different words that mean without. Yep. Um, just look at, in your language of the country, look what the word without is, and then ask somebody or look for the section. And if you are going to Europe, the brand Char, 
will Char. become your best friend. Char and is you will, the goat. You will start to look for those primary colored blue, yellow, uh, and red packages of your breads, your flowers, your tortillas, your, your cookies, cookies, your, your crackers. crackers. So many different little treats. And, and we actually just found in a grocery store that's not too far from us here in Portugal, it is an entire gluten-free like grocery store. And so there's some pizza crust that we saw mm, we can try. Gosh. We have to go back there we and load up. We have to go up. back there. Uh, yeah, the next thing that I think we found better or easier that was a big surprise, but a very nice surprise, was we didn't have our luggage lost on those yeah. 17 flights. We didn't have anything stolen the entire trip. This was another thing that I was really prepared for. I was like, one of us is going to get our laptop stolen. One of us is going to leave our phone somewhere. One of us, like, I backed up everything before. Yep. And I would still definitely recommend that. Absolutely. But thankfully, we did not have any kind of horror story that you hear about travel a lot, which I found our count us very lucky yeah absolutely but but to your point like we didn't go to a lot of extremely populated touristy places where you can get pickpocketed and and i think i think that's a big part of this trip too for us is like we weren't doing this year of travel to go see every tourist thing you could possibly see like every attraction we were doing it to see what life felt like in European cities and towns. Right. And statistically, probably locals get robbed a lot less than I tourists. I would hope so, for yeah. sure. The tourists, they wear a lot of electronics and there's <laughs> a lot of things you can steal and grab really easily. Yeah. So we kind of were trying to blend in as locals and some places we probably did that better than others. But in general, I think it helped us out. Which is why I stopped wearing my uh, fanny pack because my crossbody bag, because I looked less like a tourist without it. You know, like, oh, that guy's just local. He's got know, his wallet in his pocket. It's funny because it's such a European fashion thing to wear the crossbody bag, but I just think you didn't wear it in such a way that it felt like a piece of you. It did really you, did. You were sort of like, look at me with it's my crossbody bag. It's an bag. accessory. Uh, the other thing in the uh, this category of, of better is a lack of Airbnb fails. We definitely prepared for... We had more Airbnb fails, fails staying at places in the States than we did this entire year of staying at whatever we said. 31. 35. Yeah, yeah. 31. Um, I expected like things to be not as pictured. I expected things to be have weird smells. I expected there to be terrible construction. Like all yeah. the things that you hear of people being like, this was not as the listing said. But thankfully, like we only had one Airbnb fail that we had to move. And the people were extremely nice about it. They did not fight us on refunds at all. Um, And I will say, going back to kind of the money conversation, I have to acknowledge that a lot of times we weren't staying at the budget accommodations. So hosts weren't like nickel and diming us and things like that. Yeah, but I think in comparison to places we've stayed in the U.S. of the exact same dollar value, we've run into more problems in the U.S. than we did in Europe. Yeah. Which is just wild. And, And also the other thing I want to say is just, the friendliness of especially Airbnb hosts, like, and again, I'm not, we're not trying to like make the U S out look to look worse than than Europe. It's just the experience that we had on Airbnb throughout all of Europe, the entire year was phenomenal. There were people who were willing to take us to their favorite restaurants, to tell us about all the best spots in town, to come and bring something to the house. If we need like all of these things, have not had that happen. Yeah, it like a couple of anecdotes that come to mind is like when you got COVID in Portugal and our food tour guide <laughs> is sending you the the days that you need to be inside and like yeah. if you need the anything. updated government information you, on yeah, what to do. Yeah, do you need me to send you where to get a test? Like just help being a lifeline in that country. Yeah. Or, um, you know, when we were in Croatia and I got COVID and our other tour guide <laughs> stopped by with just bottles of wine yeah. and like a little care package and said, I hope you feel better soon, which was 
unbelievably sweet or our actual friend that we made in Ireland of yep. the Valley Bunyan place of like, you know, we'll go back and visit her. And it's just like the friendliness of people, the friends that we made this year, even if they were just, you know, more than acquaintances, but like I, I, I truly feel like people welcomed us into their hometown and really were a lifeline. And, yeah. and I just think that made the whole experience better. Yeah. And I think in general, again, that we can only speak to the 10 countries that we went to in Europe, but for the majority of them, we did not run into any angry people who were mad that we were tourists in a place. And it was just more of like, oh, you don't speak English. Like, I can't really help you that much, but I can point a lot and you can point a lot and we can figure this thing out. And like, Definitely. that was it. All right, let's move into a new category. Were we happy with our itinerary? What would we do differently planning-wise if we were to plan this trip again? So, again, for those of you who are just tuning in, our like kind of our loose plan at the beginning of this year was to stay in like 20 different kind of cities or destinations and to stay in places about two and a half weeks at a time. Yep. We ended up, well, I mean, you know by the numbers now that we ended up kind of in 30 different places. So that means that some of these places we didn't stay longer than like the days. two and a half weeks that we were yeah. um, planning on. But in general, I felt like that was a really good plan for us. Like I, I still feel, do I feel like the year and the itinerary got hectic at times? Namely like in the spring, like kind of when things started to gear up and we did um, France and we yep. were bopping around in France, then to Greece, then to ne Netherlands. I felt like that was a little hectic. And then in the fall, it got really hectic because it was, you know, Italy and then back to Portugal and then England. And it was a lot, but I will say overall, we made all of those decisions like for reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel good about it. Yeah. I, I think if anything, you know, if you're, if you're looking at doing a trip like this, it's best to create a plan that you feel really comfortable with how long you think you're going to be That aligns place. with you and how yeah. you like to travel. Like I obviously need more rest time. So the longer stays were really helpful. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that we were really happy that we did was we started in Lisbon, which is a very, very tourist friendly city. It's very easy to get around. English is spoken very easily. Um, it also is kind of one of the quickest to get to from the U.S. So you, you know, have a little bit of a less uh, length of a flight. And I think that was such a good decision. Same. Because it just started our trip off on such a good foot. We had those two weeks, uh, which actually ended up being four weeks because I ended up getting COVID. So we had to stay a little bit longer and change our plans. But it really was a great city to be in because you could order food. You could go to a bunch of places really easily. It just was a good spot. Definitely. And then on the same note there, as starting in an easy place... We ended the trip in Switzerland, which was basically at the top of our list, like yeah. destination wise. And it was just spectacular. Like it lived up to the hype in our minds. And so I'm really glad that we ended things on such a high note because it just like was like the perfect cap to the end of the trip. Yeah. And I think, yeah, if you're looking at planning out a year and you think, okay, let me start with something easier, like a Lisbon, if you will, or even just like a bigger city where it's like, there's a lot of options of things mm -hmm. and then end with a country that you're like, that one might feel like a, maybe a little bit uncomfortable and just like maybe things are take longer to get to. There's more driving, et cetera. But you're going to be so much more comfortable with travel. Right. Do that one later on. Like right. don't start with the one that might be a little bit more challenging. Right. And then I think from there, you know, for us, as you mentioned, we're huge planners. Yes. We love to plan. We love a good Notion database. Mm -hmm. We love a good organized Google Calendar. And it would have been really nice had we, at the beginning of this trip, had the first three months fully booked. Yes, because in hindsight, something that really added more stress to our plate and I think didn't help us acclimate as quickly as we could have was that we were so 
busy trying to sell all of our stuff at the end of 2021 and get ready for the trip. Were you managing a lot of offer up auctions or things on eBay or I was managing the notion database. putting together all the price, uh, mm-hmm. you know, things for, I listed a couple things on eBay. Once my <laughs> husband showed me how to do that. Okay. Um, I'm just giving you that was, time. I know you are. That was all of our time was spent kind of doing that at the end of the year. And so that time we could have been spending planning out the first three months because what happened was we didn't have the first three months very well planned out. We had our first two destinations basically. Yeah. We which had, is our first month. With, which was our first month. And then we had to change plans, like you said, because of COVID. But then it just became like really difficult to be, as we said, doing the decision fatigue that it requires in the moment yeah. of being in a place. Yeah. And on top of that, to try and carve out time to then plan a month ahead. And then your options are less, your Airbnbs are less because now you're down to the wire. Yeah. And so it just became too hectic. So I wish we had started the year with like locked in, fully loaded, our first three months of destinations and accommodations booked. Yeah. And I think what makes it a little bit easier if you are a person who's thinking about a trip like this you have some rules you have to follow with just the Schengen travel visa thing. So like you can't just stay in France for four months. Like you have to leave after three months and you have to go outside of the region. So you'd have to go somewhere else for three months and then come back and blah, blah, blah. So knowing that ahead of time, like I think we did a great job picking out all of our countries that we were going to go to, the time in and out of them. It just would have been so great to have like the Airbnbs booked, the flights booked, even have planned out a couple restaurants and grocery store things. Just so when you hit the ground, you don't have to then go, okay, now I have to like figure all this out and I'm exhausted. Definitely. Uh, cool. All right. Let's pivot over from kind of just like travel stuff to business and travel. Right. So right. we have some fun stuff we want to chat about as this is a business podcast, but we do talk about life as well. Uh, we wanted to talk about how hard it was to manage our two businesses while traveling for a year. Yeah. I mean, listen. Would it have been more fun and cooler and better had we not had to work at all? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that feasible for most people? Probably not. Not even us. People not even who, us. Who try real hard to. We did. And our, our businesses are extremely self-sufficient, but they do take maintenance effort. Yeah. And so, you know, it, I'm not going to lie. Like it was really hard it, yeah. to try to find ways to work consistently while also managing all the things that we mentioned. But I give us a lot of credit for our only goal was just to maintain the businesses. Like that was it. We weren't going to do any major growth initiatives. We didn't, I think we did a good job of not putting like too, too much stuff on our plate. Um, There are things that I think we could have done better, which we'll talk about in a second. But in general, I think we did a pretty good job. Well, I think what helped us the most was before we left, we said, 2022 is not a growth year. Yes. 20 and and anybody who runs their own business knows every year you're trying to grow by something. And even if it's just a little bit like you're just trying to do a little bit better than you did last year, and that's what we've done every single year. We've not tried to like And by the way, that could be not just like grow revenue-wise, that could be we're trying to grow as in optimize and make processes better and you know. Yeah. But for this year, we set the intention ahead of time, which was we are not trying to grow in any capacity whatsoever. Right. So if we can just stay afloat, <laughs> if we can just deliver what we've promised to our customers and our members, that will be good enough. And we just got to make it through the year <laughs> and have yes. a great time while we're traveling. Exactly. And yeah, and we did that. And, and I think the biggest part of like the biggest thing that I learned is just how to pick and choose the things that you're going to put your attention on because your capacity is not going to be at a hundred percent. Like looking back, we talk about like, I probably worked at like a 
30 to 40, 30. Don't go up 30, to 40. Don't you dare. 30% capacity, which is just so abysmal, but it's true. Like this lifestyle is so much harder on my se- sensibilities and it is Jason's. And we have gone over what those sensibilities are ad nauseum on this <laughs> podcast. Um, and so it was, it was impossible for me to, you know, work as much as he did. You probably worked at like, what, like 75% capacity. Yeah, I think so. As a robot. <laughs> um, even robots still can't work at hundred percent. I mean, capacity. I wasn't happy about it to yeah, be honest. I know. But, um, you know, I think the biggest thing about that was just understanding, okay, if, if I can only work at 30% capacity, where am I going to put that 30% capacity? And, and actually like if we quantify this into actual hours in a week, it might be helpful for someone to hear just to know like what that is. So for me, you know, I'm used to working in the morning for like two to three hours every morning and then getting probably another two to three hours in later in the day at some point. That was like my previous work life. And I think in the full-time travel life, it was more like an hour or two in the morning, depending on if like I needed to go anywhere, need to get groceries, like whatever. And then maybe an hour or two in the afternoon, depending on if we were doing anything, I definitely wouldn't have any time. Mm-hmm. And so I think for you, it was probably about an hour a day on good days and then some days you would have more because we would just have nothing to do. Would you say that was fair on like the amount of hours worked? Well, when you think about coaching sessions though, those are f- logging yeah. five hour days, three days in a row. For sure. So it's like, that's what's but so just, hard. But that's saying, like once a month. Exactly. So then that's yeah. hard to yeah. kind of quantify. That's why I just like, I'm like, eh, 30% feels right. Yeah, but that's, I, I just, I say that so that you listening to this might know, oh, okay, I might only be able to work two to three hours a day at most if I want to be in the full-time travel life. Because even if you're not doing things every day, which we were not doing things every day, you just end up being so exhausted that you don't have the energy to work. So I, I think I'm just sharing that so that you know the reality of you see people on YouTube who work and travel full-time. It's like, yeah, but their work is creating that YouTube video. Exactly. So, And we've talked about this before. The difference between us and someone who is traveling. This as is a, all of us. Everyone listening to. Us. Yeah, us. <laughs> the difference between, no, just you and me. Yeah. And a full-time content creator is that when they are doing adventures, they are technically contributing to their work because they're going to film that, they're going to go home, they're going to edit it. And so it's like every time they do something, they're pouring into their business in a way. Yeah. For us, every time we go do something, it's a distraction from our business. Yeah. It's it's taking time away. It's a um trade-off. Yeah. And so, and that's okay. Like we, we chose that, but you know, it's different. It is a little different than being just a full-time content creator for, for that. But going back to what I was saying before, I think the keys are knowing what moves the needle in your business and saying, if I can only work 30% capacity, what is going to fall away in that 70% that is not going to actually make a difference in my business. Exactly. For us, that was social media. For us, that was, you know, sometimes... Content creation. Sometimes content yeah. creation, sometimes pushing videos, sometimes pushing podcasts. Um, we took a full month off from the podcast when things got too hectic. How was your email inbox? <laughs> Honestly, not not as worse than it was any other year, Jason. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, Nobody full. emails me. They're like... It's just full. No, no. They email you. Nah, it's just full. Nah. Not in my mind. They don't. <laughs> That's how it works. Uh, shout <laughs> yeah. out to nobody emailing me. Um, listen, you had uh, it. Some people are gifted in certain no, areas fine. in life, and some people and are you not. are at ignoring email. Yeah, that's uh, my gift. Let's get to this question that your friend Nicole also asked that I thought was an interesting one. Did you ever feel mm. resentful of the business while you were traveling? Which I I read this out loud to Jason. I thought, isn't that an interesting question? And he said. Uh, don't you mean, did you ever feel resentful of the trip? (laughs) (laughs) And it was a good point, which is that I never felt resentful of the business while we were traveling of like, oh, this is taking me away. 
but probably sometimes I felt resentful of the trip because it was so, and I know, listen, caveat city. Like I'm not saying that from a perspective. I understand it's such a privilege. I understand it's like a dream come true. Please do not hear what I'm about to say and think that I'm not grateful. I am. This is coming from a place of, yes, it's amazing, but it was also so far outside of my comfort zone doing this in my life. It was such a risk for me personally to do this because it is not I'm not just saying this as like a story I'm telling myself. I'm telling you like in the factual sense, this is, I'm not built for this life. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like it is hard on me. And so there were times when in the micro moment, I would be like, why am I doing this? Like, I don't want to be doing this. This whole trip. This trip. Yeah. I truly, and it happened a lot less towards the end of the year. I would say this is like the first two months. After the summer, I really found my groove. But the first two months, I just thought, like, what am I doing? Where like, do you think your was your lowest of oh, the trip? The lo- two two places like immediately come to mind, and it, and it was funny enough when I was not health where my health wasn't when you were good. sick both times. So, yeah, because yeah. when I got COVID in Croatia, that was a low point. Not just because I physically felt well, but all of the um, fears and stories that that brought up within me about being really and it was the first time I had ever gotten COVID and we had avoided it for you know two and a half years and we were extremely COVID cautious um but we knew it was a risk taking this trip and so despite being boosted and all these things like I was so scared and we were also like Croatia was one of those places where it was so beautiful but it was definitely like beyond it was definitely more outside of our comfort zone I would say just because of the language and you know you just have I have less ideas in my head about what Croatian culture is Mm -hmm. and so that felt very kind of alienating as well as like of course come to find out this is one of the stories that we were saying before is like the people were so accommodating. Like the, the testing site that we went to for COVID was like so helpful and great. And like, anyway, it all works out. Right. Yep. But that was a low point for me. And then also when I got shingles, um, in France, in France, and we happened to be staying at an Airbnb that was very like uncomfortable for us that week as well. Yeah. And so the combination, I was on these, um, antivirals that were very like mood altering for me. So it was also just like putting me in this like very, you know, a temporary, but depressive state. Yeah on top of not feeling well on top of being in a place that was uncomfortable. And I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? I like, thought in France you were going to ask to be done with the trip, which is funny because I never once actually considered stopping. Yeah. Never once did I actually consider stopping. It was more of like these moments of where I would go like, am I actually like, why am I doing this? You know? And so that's what I wanted to share is that even in the micro moments where I would be resentful of this choice that I had made to put myself in such utter discomfort, you know, and I would be like, I'm having these magical moments, but it's not, it's not, those are not outweighing the discomfort at this point in the micro. That's how it would feel to me. So I'd be like, is this really worth it? But always in those moments, I would look at it from the macro perspective. And I, my sort of like, value of personal growth and my competitive spirit would kick in and I would go, A, I know this is changing me in a positive way in the macro sense. And so I have enough grit that I will stick this out because I know that it's going to be beneficial in the long term, even if it doesn't feel beneficial in the short term. And then B, it's like I said, the competitive spirit within me that's like, 
can I, you know, like I know my own self and I know even when thing, I'm experiencing temporary discomfort, I know when I don't want to quit something and I did not want to quit this trip. Yeah. And so I always kind of was like, let me stick it out. And my, my, um, I don't think I even shared this with you, but my sort of internal compass was always like, if I'm at a really low point, I'll give myself a week. And if I still feel extremely low one week from now, I will reevaluate. Yeah. Um, and, and a hundred percent of the time when I felt low, I would feel amazing a week yeah. later. And so it was just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And I think that's also just a testament to like, yes, it would have been nice to stay in places longer, but also we started to get into this groove where like when anything wasn't great, it's like, well, we're moving to a new place next week. Exactly. So that's it's like, why that two this week place kind of sucks. Like perfect. So it's like, but next week we're going to be somewhere else. So like, it'll be different and it'll feel maybe easier. It might even feel harder, but it's just going to be different. different. And that's what we're looking forward to. Absolutely. So, um, never resentful. Were you ever resentful of the business? You were no. never resentful of the trip. No, no, not okay. at all. I mean, I, I, I actually was very grateful for our businesses and that it, it showed me. And I think a lot of people who own their own businesses and have for a long time. I think it's different when you're first getting started because there's so many unknowns or so many things that I know we have a lot of listeners who work full-time jobs and they don't, you know, they have a side hustle and they can only work on it for an hour or whatever a day. But I think for anybody who has been working in their business for a while knows it really doesn't take that long every day to do what you need to do to keep the business afloat right. because the business is, and that's what it showed us. And that's exactly what it showed me. Like I, if I was really focused, like if I put on my Synthwave soundtrack <laughs> and had a good cup of coffee that I made that morning with some beans that I found somewhere in town that I was able to scope out, I could get everything done in one hour. Everything would be done. I could have all my emails answered. But I'm also like, it's a huge cognitive load to focus that much every single day and then also be in a full-time travel life. Yeah. So I didn't do that to myself because then I would run out of steam and I would get to this point where I'm like, oh, I am having a hard time making a decision on where to eat lunch and like what a stupid position to be in because I forced myself to get an hour of focused work done. When I can just like take it easy in the morning and be like, oh, I'll get to the rest of that work tomorrow or later or whatever. So yeah, yeah I, I think that was for me kind of what it showed. And I just, again, I was just very grateful for our two businesses I and know. our customers. And, and me too. And like we we talk about it often, but this entire podcast is called What Is It All For? And to me, this was the year of what is it all for? It's like, those years that we put in of not knowing where the business was headed or if it would pay off the, that huge risk that we took when we combined businesses. And I didn't know if I was going to like it or if we were going to work well together or like, what was this going to mean for the future of our business? And it turned out to be the best decision we ever made. It's mm -hmm. like those risks, like this year was the payoff. And I'm so glad going back to the conversation about spending money too. It's like, well, what is it all for? Exactly. If you're not going to, spend it on something that deeply fills up your soul and makes you happy to be alive. And this year made me happy to be alive. Oh, and, and you'll hear in the part two of this next, next episode, like we have created some memories that we will keep forever. Yeah. And it's like, what is working for, if not to provide you the opportunity to make memories for the rest of your life through like the, yeah. The and it doesn't have to be creates. in our interpretation. It doesn't have to be traveling around the world, but like, what is that for you? Exactly. It, what does your money do for you? Is yeah. it to spend more time with your kids and like make memories with them? Is it to give back to your parents who took, I don't know what and that maybe answer it's not is. a full-time travel trip. Maybe it's just the one trip that you want to take with your family to a country in Europe that you've been dreaming about. And you saved up for 10 years to do it. Like, 
Yes, do that with your money. Like or that's, not Europe. Yeah, whatever. Anywhere in the world. Okay, let's talk about a couple more businessy things. Uh, what helped with our workflow? So okay. what were some things that we did? Okay, so the first one is going to sound silly, but it's the charging station. Yes. Tell the people about the charging station. So this was something that I just, I was thinking about as we got into our first Airbnb and then into our second Airbnb. And I was like, oh, Every single time we change places, we're going to need to be able to charge two laptops, an iPad, two iPhones, and a bunch of ancillary random devices. 21st century problems. All these things. And I was like, it's going to be a pain if we don't have like a system for this and like a dedicated charging spot for all of our things. So we had a little power strip that we brought. We have some converters. And I just basically kept all of our plugs, the majority of them. You had your own. But I would just, every time we got to an Airbnb, the first thing I would do, pull out my little electronics bags. I had two little adopt kits. You can see them in our packing video if you want to see what they were. I would set up a little spot for our you charging station. You would scout station. it out. You yeah. would look at like, okay, where are we probably going to Because, it, yeah, it's not just like, oh, put it on like the nearest outlet or whatever. No, it's no, like, no, no, no. Where's it going to be a good spot that stuff's out of the way? That you could put stuff down. Oh, my gosh. It was like a fully a part of our routine. <laughs> and I would always get so excited because usually when we're changing Airbnbs, it's a travel day, right? So it's like... By that, by the time we get to the place and settle in, I know my phone's gonna be low, my iPad's probably gonna be low. You're gonna be low. I'm gonna be low. And so it was always so like satisfying to know within the first hour Jason's gonna have the charging station set up and it's gonna be so easy for me to just go and go gadoonk, gadoonk. Plug it all in. Yeah. And um and so the reason why that ties into what made it effective for us to be able to work is because going back to the decision fatigue thing, that was like one point of friction that we could remove that then made it that much easier to get into work every day because yeah. you didn't have to worry about, oh crap, my thing's dead and I got to charge it and blah, blah, blah. It was like whenever you felt the urge to work, you could because you had this system for keeping your things charged. And it sounds so silly, but I'm telling you, it was like a huge facilitating point for yep. being able to work whenever the mood would strike. Yep. Um, I'll let you talk about Notion, but for me, Google Calendar is and has been the most extremely helpful thing, I think, for my productivity over many years of working for myself. And so just always having my little time blocks set up, little tasks, <clears throat> excuse me, that I set up for myself previous Jason a couple of weeks ago put on my calendar so that I could just like wake up and go, oh, I need to get these couple of things done today. And I see them right there listed in my Google Calendar for the day. A game changer for me. I recently came to the conclusion of why you always love Google Calendar so much and why I like Notion better. Yeah. And it's because of the way that our brains work. Your brain is so good at setting, like you're not mood driven. Right. For working at no. all. Like you just, you, if you tell me the what to do. The robot needs to work. The robot needs the to robot work. The robot work. will work. And yeah. so that's like wonderful. So if you say that you're going to do something at three o'clock, there's not a lot of reasons why you wouldn't be able to do that. Right. I have so many reasons <laughs> why I wouldn't be able to do the X, Y, and Z. The wind could be blowing. The wind is blowing north by northwest. <laughs> yeah. And everyone knows that that makes me sad. The blanket was <laughs> okay. set up horizontally, the, not vertically. Not vertically. Yeah. And that reminds me of a memory I had when I was right. eight and I now can't work. Okay. Exactly. And so we, we laugh, but like, it's true. Like I yeah. have all these different reasons of like of sensitivities, sensitivities that I need the flexibility to be able to rearrange my tasks based on where's my energy at, where's my mood at, like whatever. And so that's why I love notion because it's a building block system. And so I can rearrange my tasks very easily, but, but I think that it was absolutely necessary. And if this kind of skips ahead to a question that we'll get to later, which is what advice would we give to someone who is trying to kind of do a trip like this in the future without a doubt I think you need some type of like what they would what you would call a second brain system 
in a place where you can dump your tasks, a place where you can dump your projects so that it doesn't live inside your brain. Because I needed my first brain to do things like grocery store shopping and Google Maps and where navigate a new city and Google Translate. And so it was great because I never needed my brain to be clogging up that cognitive power with like, what do I need to do for work? Instead, I kept it all in my notion. And when I did finally get that little burst of energy to sit down and do work, I could say, here's everything that's been piling up and here's how I can tackle it. Yeah. So having some type of system I think is pretty key. And the next one, Pomodoro timers for you. So Pomodoro timers work incredibly well for me. Um, and I think it's because I know that not everyone is like this, but for me having a time constraint is very helpful. And also because if I set a timer for myself and I say, okay, I don't need to be focused for the whole day. I just need to be focused for two Pomodoros, meaning a 25 minutes on five minute break. Right. That's helpful for me because that feels doable suddenly instead of just like, oh, I have like three big things I have to do today. So the app that I use is called pomofocus.io, and it just allows you to set these little timers for yourself. And it's free. Yeah, there's a free version. Yeah. So I that worked well for me so that when I did have, like I said, that window of motivation, I could turn on my motivation playlist, set up my Pomodoro timers, have that little time constraint, and actually get stuff done. Nice. Uh, okay, next up is trying to fit in some exercise yes. as much as possible. And again, this is the question, you know, kind of here is what helped with workflow or just like getting into the workflow? Yeah, and I think we discovered, at least especially for me, Days where I work out in the morning, I get more work done on the business because it starts me off in such a, A, it's such a anxiety relief for me. It's a good mental health, like hygiene thing for me. Um, it makes me feel like I already accomplished something. So I'm like, now I'm like, what else can I accomplish? Mm-hmm. And it also just starts my whole day on a, a familiar routine where we go, we work out, we come home, we make breakfast. I sit at my computer and I do work. And so that's sort of a combo, which yeah. is a some type of routine that your brain can alert your brain that you're going into work mode. And for me, the added benefit of making that an exercise trigger was helpful. And I think for people listening, that might be a yoga practice. It might be a meditation practice. It might be any of those things. A journal practice. For me, I think it's actually my morning coffee routine. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what gets me. Like I'm a person who gets out of bed and I'm ready to go. So I have the very luck and fortunate that I can do that. And I don't know why that is, but that's just how I'm wired DNA wise. So all I need is like a nice, you know, pour, uh, pour over coffee that I make with whatever random kettle I've found in a place or a pot of boiling water in an AeroPress. I can't believe I lucked out just in finding you. Cause this was not like an interview question that I gave you when we had our first date. Like I really should have fielded right. potential mates for this characteristic of just being able to work in like, I just lucked out. Yeah. I just get up and do things. Uh, I think the other thing that really helped us is in booking Airbnbs, where we clearly saw a place that work could be done. Yes. And there were, I will tell you, there were many Airbnbs that we looked at throughout the year that we didn't book because as beautiful as it was and has like well decorated as it was, there wasn't a place to work. And Which really just amounts to a dining room table or like a table. Yeah. And and that might sound silly and it might be like, well, yeah, it's just like we're from a couch. But remember, we're traveling full time. We're mm-hmm. talking about like living a full time life. It's very different than just like going to a hotel for a few nights and like, yeah, you can work from the bed. It's no big deal. But every single week when you need to be getting work done and you're then changing environments, it's good to have a table, a desk of some kind, some, you know, some place to sit where some you can get ergonomics. You know, some ergonomics, as they say. So that is question that answers the question about our workflow, our business yeah. workflow. 
Now, moving into uh, as far as the business goes, though, yeah. What if looking back now, what would we do differently to prep our business businesses for this year of travel? Yeah. So I think the thing, just like a maybe a caveat here, or just a little note. Our businesses are both recurring income businesses. So we have an online course platform, Tea Tree, and that has customers that pay us every month to use Tea Tree. And then we have Wandering Amply Unlimited, which is a coaching program that people pay every month to get access to our coaching program, along with a whole bunch of other stuff and a Tea Tree account. So both of those businesses are recurring income businesses. So we don't have to necessarily do a bunch of work to sell them. Um, we do launches for Wandering Amply twice a year, which we did twice during this year. And we were able to do those. And we'll talk more about that. But the thing for me that I would have done differently, even though we have all this stuff set up, we have all these systems in place, you've created so much stuff in Notion that's helpful. We have a lot of processes. We have really great customers. Thank you so much, anybody who's listening to this Absolutely. because you make our lives so much easier. It would have been nice to think ahead to have a customer service person, a mm -hmm. customer support person um, that could have basically just done like one hour a day. Because we should also say that we intentionally keep both of those businesses with very few no employees, but very few even contractors yeah, and contractors, freelancers. Yeah. So we don't like managing a, a huge team. Some people want to grow their team. Some people, that's how they want to grow their business. They like that. For us, like we try to keep it intentionally small. And so Jason does all the customer service, even for teacher. Teacher. Yeah. It's a software product, but like if you have a problem, you're, you're, uh, messaging with this, basically the CEO of the company. Excuse me. Co-CEO. Co-CEO. Yeah. Of course. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that would have been nice to try and find somebody that could have done those tasks every day and then I could have just done like a quick check-in with them like in Slack or via email and also with the time zone thing right. it would have been nice too because being on European time having been in US time forever like people kind of get used to that cadence of things and that's where most of our customers are anyway so it would be like 6 p.m. on a day where we had done like a fun travel venture which we'll talk more about in part two next episode um and I would just be exhausted and not want to do any customer support stuff. But that's like the beginning of the day for some people. Right. So then you're, it's not basically like you're calling it a day early. It's like you're taking a day off. Exactly. And so and it, you don't want to do that. And I, I never had a problem with that. I never had anybody complain about that. It, it was just more for me and how right. I operate. Was, I felt bad for our customers. That was my follow-up question was, do you think that that actually negatively impacted our customer's experience? Or do you think it's just a values thing for you of wanting to provide a good experience and knowing that you were falling short of that? Yeah, more more of a values thing, less yeah. of a bad experience. I mean, I do think there were a couple occasions where someone had something break like in Tea Tree because they broke it because they put some bad code in. And it would have been nice to get back to them quicker. Yeah. But like at the end of the day, they broke it and like, they just had to wait until someone could fix it. Yeah. So anyway, um, what about our coaching sessions? Yes. So this is the other big thing that looking back in hindsight probably would have done differently is for those of you that don't know and you're not Waymers. So the big main deliverable that we offer for our monthly unboring coaching um, sessions is like we do a three hour live coaching. It's always on a different topic. We've and now done 40 of them. And we've done 40 of them now. And when I tell you, this is not a little, like, I write an agenda and we get on live and just, like, you know, shoot the shit for three hours like we do on this podcast, am I right? <laughs> it is, like, truly something that I take a lot of pride in. Well, we do together. Yeah, but I, but I you're, create you're creating an entire curriculum yes. every single month. And I people. put a lot of, like, love into it. And there's fun illustrations. And there's usually a story. And there's a thing I'm trying to teach. And the thing is... I, we really tried, I will say we did try to change the format going into yeah. this year to make, to go from, you know, something that I spend 30 hours on a month to something that I spend 10 hours. That was like kind of our goal. Um, but 
the format that we chose, which was this idea of unsolved businesses, turns out that I thought teaching something, teaching something is like our main format where we like pick a topic, like we just did one on how to use a quiz to grow your email subscribers, right? Yep. We teach a whole thing from start to finish. I thought going from that to this unsolved businesses format, which is just a fun way of basically taking a Waymer's business, a case study and using our five-step business framework to improve their business. And I thought, well, it's just, that'll be so much more simple because we're not teaching anything. We'll just offer some suggestions. Okay. What I didn't realize was that (laughs) I was actually going to care way more about that because it was a person and it was their business. And I wanted to really give them contextual advice that would actually be helpful and not just like, bullshit them right so then that took longer yeah and i think looking back like it would have been smart of us for 2022 to go okay we have to deliver a monthly coaching session curriculum thing every every month to our customers what's a simplified version what's what is something that we could provide value wise that we could do and also to make it shorter because i know not every one of our waymers has three hours to spend although a lot of you like that yeah yeah but like what could we deliver in you know a third of the time that still was tremendous amount of value. And yep. we're going to test that out for this upcoming year, yeah. um, which I hope will be better and more kind of learn from the past. But if we had really used the last quarter of 2021 to test out a couple of different frameworks and really been serious about tracking the time yeah. for the format, I think we would have done ourselves a big, and by us, I mean me, a big favor. Yeah. Uh, I think the other thing that would have made this year of full-time travel a little bit easier on our businesses is if we would have planned a couple more three to four week stays in one spot. Yeah. Especially a spot that had good Wi-Fi. <laughs> yes, because we did have this one um, stretch of time in June where we went to Scotland and we only stayed in two different Airbnbs for two and a half weeks each. So it was basically like a four, and, four and to five weeks. And they were 30 week. minutes apart. And they were 30 minutes apart. So it was basically like staying in a place for a month. And we got caught up on so much business stuff. We got ahead on stuff. It was such a good reset. I think it's what actually made the second half of the year go so much better. Yeah. And if we had just done that one or two more times, we're like, it didn't have to be like a four to five week. It could have just been like three weeks in place where we really knew the Wi-Fi was good. And we just said, don't travel. Yeah. Like don't even try to see stuff. Just get caught up on work. I think we would have actually gotten ahead and made it a better for ourselves. Yeah. And I think a quick pivot uh, on the same note here that's different from business and just making a year of travel work is, and we got this advice from a couple people is literally plan a vacation <laughs> from your travel as like as often as possible. So maybe it's once a quarter, maybe it's once every six months. I would say if we were just doing this over, every quarter we would have to take at least one week completely off. And so it would just be off from everything. It's no plans. Like you're probably going to a hotel, maybe an all-inclusive hotel. Yeah, where it's like, like you don't have to think. There's no cognitive load is what you're like going for. It's like if you were planning your trip, I would say you have three types of blocks. You have an adventure block where it's like you're exploring a new place. You're going, you're seeing stuff. You're trying to, you're going to cool restaurants, whatever. Adventure. Work block where it's like you're staying inside. You don't care. You're not seeing anything. Maybe you're ordering takeout and you're just getting caught up on work and then relax. And it's like, you're not going anywhere. You're kind of just recharging the batteries and you don't feel that FOMO of like, I need to like go and explore. And you don't have any decisions to make. I think that's the thing. Like when we stayed at the Royal Royal Senses Senses in Crete, that week was very rejuvenative for me because the hardest decision to make was, well, there are two restaurants for dinner. Which one do we go to? And by the way, that was immediately after my low point when we were in France and I got shingles. And it was like, I'm pretty sure that's why I didn't quit because I was like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. So I would just say if you're you're thinking about doing a, a year of travel or an extended time of travel, 
plan some longer stays to get caught up in work and make sure they have good Wi-Fi. And then also make sure you're planning out some regular vacation from your trip, which I know sounds ridiculous, but really it's just to like have more time to think. I'm going to skip ahead for a second based okay. on our notes and just wrap up the business section or okay. this whole section sure. by saying, answering the question of, okay, now you said you could only work 30% or 75% or whatever. Like what was the overall impact on your business? Did we accomplish our goal of keeping our businesses afloat even while we were traveling this I year? I think this will shock you listeners. <laughs> <laughs> this is our Buzzfeed like clickbait. Yeah, head, you headline. will be shocked. Yeah. Um, uh, literally, 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 almost the exact same revenue year to year between last one, year and this 1% year. 1% difference. 1%. 1%. So we're also, we're just, we're extrapolating December, but well, we have, sure, we but have recurring revenue. So we can kind of, yeah, we, we can guess and we're not doing anything different and it'll all be pretty much the same. It's, it's pretty wild. Like when we looked at the numbers, I actually expected there to be like a, Twenty to thirty thousand dollar difference yeah. from this year's making less money this year than last year, one percent difference, which is just incredible. And again, like super thankful that we have been able to create this. We've been able to build sustainable, predictable businesses because just five years ago that was not a thing for us. Right. And so, just to let you all know, and we you know talk about this often, in five years, like your world can vastly change when it comes to business stuff, Absolutely. and it just takes experimentation listening to all 150 other episodes of this <laughs> podcast, uh, reading all those business books you have stacked up that you haven't read, but just like applying those things and experimenting. You yeah. Can do it. And applying is the biggest part, right? Yes. It's like you can listen to advice all, all day long, but everything, there is no blueprint as much as I know that everyone wants to believe yeah. there is. It is about taking the best nuggets that you feel like will work for your business. And then you have to go and experiment and see what works for you and what industry yep. you're in and what offer you have and what your unique gifts are. And it's just like, there's so many variables that all it take, it really does take experimentation. Um, now that being said, this is where a caveat's important because revenue is different than profit, right? So even though our revenue stayed within the same of 1%, yep. we paid $20,000 more in expenses for the business. Yep. And which I would say is like a 10% difference if we're doing that. Sure. Yeah. And, and really the majority really all of that is to pay out our affiliates. So that's our main marketing engine for our main offer, which is Wham Unlimited, our coaching program. And we love using affiliate marketing. When I say affiliate marketing, all I mean is that our Wham, existing Wayne members can basically market Wayne for us. And yep. then every person that they bring, bring in, they get a percentage of that revenue. And the reason we like this is because I would so much rather pay our, our customers back money that they put, gave to us. I would so much rather give them money back. That's the way I view it. than pay like for Facebook ads or pay for, you know, whatever other paid marketing channels. Yeah. And, it, and when you actually boil that down, it's less than $2,000 a month that we spent this year to basically have our businesses run very simply and without us having to do a whole bunch of other stuff. Absolutely. And, and then, and then I'm like, okay, well even I'm not even mad at $20,000 cause I'm like that $20,000 went directly to people. people who we know and love. Yeah. And if we can create an income stream for people in our coaching program, that makes me really happy. Fantastic. So uh, that is money well spent in my, in my book. So that's the impact on the business. So I think we did succeed in keeping it, you know, we didn't grow, but we didn't, we still kept the, the businesses bringing in a very strong and healthy revenue stream. And what's really cool that I, here's an unanticipated benefit. I didn't write this down in the notes. So if you're oh, like, where is she? Script. One thing I didn't anticipate is basically taking, maybe I mentioned this on a previous episode, but my friend Margaret had this observation where she called it 
I was like, I don't know. I'm just feeling this like different type of energy, motivation, creativity. I, I, I want to spend time on the business. And she's like, oh yeah. Cause you, this year was like a creative dam. And so what it did was like, it prevented me from creating. It prevented me from adding new things to Wayne. It prevented me from really like starting anything new. And what that has done is it's kind of like, kind of created this like um, inert or like pent up energy that I now am so excited to like release. Mm -hmm. So I'm so, I've never been so excited going into a new year. I mean, granted some of it is like, we're in a new country, we're starting a new chapter. There's a lot of excitement, but I'm just creatively feeling very energized right now of like, what can Wayne become? Where is our business going to be five years from now? And that is an unintended benefit of having a non-growth year is that it's like, you know, there's a season for just like enjoying what you've done. And then you kind of like, you know, it's like, I picture the little, you know, those little like Hot Wheels cars that you like roll backwards and then they like wind up and then you let them go. You've been rolled backwards. I've been rolled backwards. And so now I'm ready to like take off. And I don't know where I'm going to go, but like I'm going to do something. All right. Now do I get to go off script with something? Oh, but it's a bad (laughs) idea when you do it. I'm not doing it. I just said it to be funny. Uh, All right. The (laughs) last thing here in the what would we do differently kind of preparing for a year of travel. The question, uh, are we glad we sold every single thing that we owned pretty much before leaving Southern California to do this trip? My answer is, without a doubt, 100% yes. I love a clean reset. I I love the fact that we went through, I went through, uh, all of the stuff that we had hidden away in cabinets and cupboards, and we were, quote-unquote, minimalists by most people's definition, and we still had a ton of things that piled up. I'm so glad that I don't have to, like, those things, they already were, like, non-existent because they were in cupboards but it's like once you get that all out and once it's all gone I know this sounds ridiculous to some people but when you do it it is so freeing and I love that we now have moved into this home we brought nothing but two small rolling suitcases and two travel backpacks with our things and we don't have a whole bunch of other stuff we have to unpack the house is furnished in case you're like well where are you sleeping the house is furnished yeah um okay my answer first of all Obviously, 100% yes is your answer. Yes. Um, and I respect that about yeah, you. thank you. And I love you. I am going to agree with you 90% of the way. Okay. Because I am still very happy that we sold everything. And, and just as you're describing all the things hidden in cabinets, I'm like, yes, so glad that we went through that stuff. There is a small part of me, and this is just me being honest and being real, I wish that I would have kept like three boxes of like my favorite couple of clothing items, my favorite couple of art supplies, my favorite couple of like little tchotchkes from my art room. I wish I would have kept like a little, a couple things so that when we started fresh here in a new brand new country, even though there's beautiful furniture and this house is amazing and I love the fresh start of it all, there is this little piece of me that just wishes I had like a little couple of things that felt like home that felt like our home from the before times that I could use as like a touchstone to like start our new life here. And you know, I'm not, I don't regret it. Like there's no part of me that's like mad about it, but I'm like, man, if I wish that I had just a couple of little things because sometimes the, the flip side is that like for as exciting and fresh start feeling as it is to start everything back from zero, it's also very daunting. You're yeah. like, oh, my art room, I got to... And I'm, I'm not saying that I'm even in any rush to like totally just haphazardly repopulate an art room, but it's more of like, 
literally I had to buy glue sticks because I, I wanted to do a little DIY project for my nieces for Christmas. And I was like, I don't have glue sticks. Yeah. And I'm like, God, I have to buy glue sticks. Like that's such an annoying thing to have to buy and spend my money on now where I had plenty of glue sticks back home. Yeah. In fact, I think you had before. like seven and we I had to throw know. them away because you accumulated too many. Exactly. Which gets so anyway, to my point. My answer is 90% yes. Yeah. And 10% wish I would have kept like a little handful of things. Granted, the glue sticks would not have made it in the boxes, but I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that wraps up that category. I think we have, this is our last question here to answer. Last question. The last one we're going to do sort of like a rapid fire. Okay. And then, and then you'll have to wait for part two. Yeah. So the last question is what advice would we give to someone wanting to do a year of full-time travel or just an extended travel trip while working, even if they aren't well-established as a business? And I think we've touched on a lot of these things because we... In, in talking about what we would have done differently. But in general, what would you say? The first thing would be you're going to have to work and you're probably going to have like full work days, like an eight-hour work day. So just plan for it. So yeah. when you're building your itinerary, just know, hey, my business requires my time. My clients maybe I'm working with require my time. So three days out of the week, I have to block those off as full work days. So I may be quote-unquote traveling full-time, but three days out of a week, I have to be stationary so that I can work and get consistent work done. And be okay with that. Yeah. Definitely. And then like, you know, I do think, I'm not saying you have to, this is not a necessary, yeah. but in our experience, it was very helpful to have recurring revenue. So yeah. I think it would be probably as hard as it was for us. I think it'd be 10 times harder for someone doing this who had to go out and get clients yeah. like consistently. I'm not saying it's impossible, but if, you know, I, I do think if there's anything that you can set up in your business, like for example, if you're trying to do this in 2024, Maybe 2023, your goal is let me get some recurring revenue into my business. Yeah, building a membership program, building a coaching program, building some type of like a small SaaS product if you can do that, whatever those things are. And if you're not someone who wants to build products like those things, maybe it's about turning your clients in, you know, from kind of like project based to retainer based. Exactly. And so you're trying to pivot all of your clients to six month or 12 month contracts. Yes. And so that way you have that recurring income and you don't have to think about going and getting new income. Definitely. Um, and then before you go and start the year, no matter where you are in your business, identify the most important three things that are contributing to your overall revenue. Because like I said, if you are in the boat like me, let's say you can only work 30% of the time, or let's say you're more of a Jason and you're working anywhere between 30 to 75% of the time. That means that things that you're doing right now are going to have to fall away and you're not like if you picture every tactic you do in your business as like you're a ball that you're juggling, some of those balls are going to have to drop to the ground. Yep. You need to be in control of deciding which of those balls can drop. So for us, we talked about this before, like the three most important things in our business are the coaching sessions and offering customer support. That's yep. Tree and Wayne, but like being there for our customers. Yep. So Jason's in Slack and doing emails and then the coaching sessions. Then outside marketing, it's our newsletter. So Which like that was a, technically is marketing. That was a non-negotiable yep. is like, let's keep the newsletter afloat. And then finally like making our affiliates happy and, and providing a launch window for them to, share Wayne with their audience as well. Yep. And so the things that fell by the wayside are social media. We yeah. did, were not on Instagram this year. The things that fell by the wayside were sometimes this podcast. We yep. took off a month. The things that fell by the wayside were, we wanted to be very consistent with our YouTube videos. We and were not. We were not. We <laughs> couldn't do it. Yeah. And that's okay because those three things that I just mentioned were things that we did not compromise on. Yep. Uh, the other thing that definitely would make this year or an extended period of travel a little bit easier is 
having savings or at least an emergency buffer. Yeah. And I know this is easier said than done for some people, but it may be delaying the start of your trip if you need to have more time to squirrel away some money. But just having a couple thousand dollars set aside so that you can have an oh shit fund if something goes wrong, if you run into an Airbnb that's an absolute nightmare, if you have your luggage get stolen and your credit card for some reason doesn't cover it soon enough and you have to buy a bunch of stuff, like just having this little buffer set aside, uh, we had one all year. We only had to dip into it a little bit one time when we had a bad Airbnb experience. And otherwise, it was just really nice that it was there so that we could always know in the back of our minds, oh, if we're getting into a tricky situation... It's going to be okay. We have this buffer. It's set aside to be spent. Yes. But if we don't have to spend it, that's going to be great. But it is to be spent yeah. on something. And we didn't feel bad about it when we changed Airbnbs, even though they gave us a refund. But we were like, we we didn't know if they were going to give us a refund when we booked the other place. And it was because we knew we had that fund there for that. Yeah. I think the other thing in this category that we didn't write down, but just the like advice if you want to do a full-time year of travel, probably the biggest piece of advice that we would give based on our experience is plan the year out to the best of your ability, leaving in as much flexibility as you want, but have a full picture so that you can, just like you said, those blocks, have your adventure blocks, have your work blocks, have your rest blocks, and just have everything set up in at least a loose format ahead of time so that you know going in, I don't have to make all of the decisions all of the time. I just need to make some smaller decisions on where I'm staying, where I'm flying, if I'm pivoting things, but the majority of the trip is loosely planned out so that you have a good idea of what you're doing. Definitely. All right. So the last thing here is a little note that says, what do we learn about ourselves? So just like a really small <laughs> I know, uh, but question. we are going to keep it short because this has been so long and we this is the only part one. But So we are going to keep it short, um, but I just want to know what you learn about yourself. What did you learn about yourself? You want to start? Or do you want me to Well, start? I learned that I, a lot of the things that I worry about are actually not as scary when I encounter them in, in real life. That's okay. a very important lesson that I will take, take forth in my life. Yeah. I learned that I am capable of changing. Like I've, I've talked about it many times before now, but like the, the way that my anxiety has transformed this year into something that used to be, you know, a seven out of 10 bad into like a four to three out of 10 bad is incredible. And like, I never would have thought that I could have that drastic of a change in my overall mental health. Yeah, I think that the things that contributed to that are expanding my comfort zone, being off of social media and like way too much Enya. And, and I have <laughs> definitely over indexed on Enya this year. So maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah. So yeah. What's the original question? What have you learned about yourself? Oh, uh, I'm a very efficiently minded. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which Ooh, is a new, new information. New information. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Brand new information uh, 12 no, years into our relationship. No, I, I think that I don't, I learned that I don't have to be as efficient in all the things that I do to live a good life and that letting go of a lot of the like wanting to have everything planned out ahead of time and like know all of the outcomes it doesn't have to be done that way. Mm, and so even I think, though your advice, the literal last thing that you said before this question was like, I probably would have planned more. <laughs> I didn't say plan more. I just say plan some. So, you know, previous me would have been like plan every single week get everything set up, book everything. Oh, you time. Right. Blah, blah, blah. That is, that's progress. It's just to have like a container oh, to do good. some planning. And I'm so, just giving you a hard time. Yeah, no, and I get it. But I, I do truly believe folks who are like me, who maybe are a little mm -hmm. bit more on the scale of and not diagnosed, but like, I can obsess over getting things a certain way. Mm -hmm. This year was really helpful for me to go, 
good luck. And, and a lot of times I couldn't do that. Yeah. And so I just had to really sit with those uncomfortable feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the question again? I keep forgetting what the actual question is. This is, this has to mean something about your brain because it's, <laughs> what did you learn about yourself? Your brain oh. is like, I'm like, Hey, could you just share some like self-awareness or like some like meaningful emotional content for me? And your, your brain's like, what was the question? And I'm like, no, no, no. Just like an emotion or like a feeling that you had in your brain's like, wait, what? But we want to talk about business stuff. I could write off all of our analytics and every single customer's name that we've had in the past year. Um, The other thing that I learned about myself is that I truly, truly Mm -hmm. love, besides you, Mm. an American-style cinnamon roll. And and I, I, There are a lot of things in Europe that I think are fantastic and I think are positives. Mm. In the, like... haven't found it. 20 different cinnamon rolls that I experienced this year. They don't do cinnamon rolls the way the Americans do. It's my preference. It is my personal preference. And I, the sticky buns, the cinnamon buns, the hot cross buns, like all (laughs) of the buns, they're all great in their own ways. But for me as a person, I love a bready, swirled, cream cheese frosted. Sufficiently wet. Thick boy, plump, wet, moist, creamy cinnamon rolls. I'm I'm honestly sweating just from the words. Because of how sexy the cinnamon roll sounds. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that for me, it's a very silly thing, but like I went into this year wanting to just explore the culinary adventures of cinnamon rolls in Europe, but now you know, I'm basic. You're just a basic bitch. That's fine. Um, I learned that I can step up more in our relationship in in assertiveness and the, in like the logistics of the way that we operate. I know, I know this is very bad for me because you now know that I'm actually not fully inept inept in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I never thought that. I can obviously. call, obviously yeah. I can call and make reservations in languages. I don't understand. I can pick out things. I can plan full dates. I can grocery shop. I, can, I can't drive by myself yet, but yeah. one day we'll get there. Yeah. So um, I learned that about myself. Yeah. I think just uh, on the whole too, like, I think we learn that we can pretty much weather any storm. And the last storm that we will weather as a couple will be having kids. Yeah. But I think a Well, you year say it like the last storm, like we're going to die after that. No, but I mean like when you're listing you like all like the difficult things that couples do in life. That's the gauntlet. Moving in together, starting a business together, full-time travel together. Mental health crisis. Mental health crisis together, COVID together, uh, having a kid together. Like That's I think true. in the list of all of those things, like we've done now a lot of them. And this one, this year really showed it's that, a relationship test oh absolutely and that's what, sure. that's my main point is like this will test your relationship in so many ways especially yeah. if you are two very different minded people and mm-hmm. the way that you think and operate in the world especially if one is more sensitive especially if one and more is a robot and i'm not saying one is better than the other but it just it sets you up for a whole new set of challenges and i think it just really showed that like we can weather those challenges yeah and uh, piggybacking on that like i learned that our communication is solid like what? every Got him. It's too easy. Stop it. (laughs) But like, you know, I think that's what, that's what inevitably gets us through every single challenge that we encounter as a couple is despite our differences, we are both willing to sit at a metaphorical table and talk until we see the other person's point of view. And, and we respect each other so much that, and we love each other so much that like, we'll do whatever it takes in order to kind of like find common ground there yeah, and apologize when it needed and like, you know, try to be better when needed and try to be more and better means more intentional. It doesn't yeah. mean like a better person. Um, and so I'm really proud of that. Great. All right, folks. I think that wraps up our year of travel wrap up. 
And we hope this was really helpful for those of you who might be thinking about doing this in the future, whether it's next year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, whatever it is. I hope this can live on as sort of like a time capsule of our entire year. I hope we listen to it again in five years and we remember how amazing this year well, was. Well, really what's going to be the time capsule is, is part two. Which is coming, coming next. soon. Yeah. So stick around for that. And then remember, we will be on a break after that episode until January 26th. And then we'll be back with you. We hope you enjoyed this. Thanks for listening. Whether you just showed up, whether you listened to every episode, whether you're still binging our old episodes, we appreciate you so much. And we love hearing why you love the podcast. And thanks for, it, you know, just like putting up with us, basically. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> really, uh, oh, I thought she you had off it. At the I end. thought you had Me it. Me too. I felt I solid it. going into just it. like... I don't know where I went. Really putter. <laughs> really like a long putter fart out there. I think at the it's because like I got like really <laughs> sentimental and serious and I didn't like it. I was like, oh. uh, okay. All right. Bye. Bye.